welcome to the Cambridge Assessment Podcast. I'm Alana Walden, and today I'm introducing an episode on the teaching of migration, empire and colonialism in British history lessons. This episode is hosted by Cambridge Assessment's Yossi Osman, with special guests from OCR, Think Tank the Runnymede Trust, and two teachers from schools in England. Hello and welcome to our podcast today. My name is Yossi Osman. I work in group transformation at Cambridge Assessment and I'm also representing the BAME staff network here uh, for the podcast. Um, This podcast is coming out of a a lot of stuff that we've seen in the news. Obviously, the Black Lives Matter movement has put an increased spotlight on what is being taught in UK schools, particularly in our history lessons. Um, A couple of questions that have come up a lot recently are, are the UK history lessons inclusive enough so that everyone can see themselves in the story? And do they take into account the many legacies of the British Empire and colonialism? Cambridge Assessment and our UK exam board OCR are welcoming this conversation and we believe that a diverse and inclusive history curriculum is vital, recognising the work that there is a lot of work for all of us to do in this area. So delighted to be joined by a few people for the conversation today. So joining us, we've got Mike Goddard, who is lead subject advisor for OCR. We have Sandeep Lidder, a historian and co-lead of Our Migration Story from the Runnymede Trust. Um, Sitara Armin, who's a history teacher at Downham Market Academy, and Claire Broomfield, who is head of history for Villiers High School. So thank you very much for joining me today. Welcome to the podcast. Um, If we could start by just getting the four of you to introduce yourselves, telling us a little bit about the work that you do either in your schools or here at Cambridge Assessment or at Runnymede. Um, Claire, if we could start with you, please. Afternoon. I'm Claire Broomfield. I'm Head of History at Villiers High School in West London. I've been Head of History for about six years now. And um, this is a really important conversation for me to have with you because of the nature of the children I teach. They are almost all from a BAME background. And um, this has been a really interesting dialogue between my team and them about how we include them in our history. Thank you very much. Uh, Sitara, please. My name is Sitara Amin. I am a teacher at Downham Market and I've been teaching there for around three and a half years. Uh, The course is really important to our students because actually we do not have a community of BAME students really and we're trying to make a more positive well-founded view about immigration just to challenge misconceptions at the moment. That's great thank you. Sandeep? Hi everyone yeah so I'm Sandeep Um, my name is Sandeep Lidder I am a historian Um, I'm currently finishing off a PhD on the history of Britain's immigration and citizenship policy in the years between 1945 and 1962. So that's my own research. But I've also, since 2016, been working with the Runnymede Trust um, on building um, an online resource called Our Migration Story. So it's a kind of online resource that's designed to help teachers to to teach histories of migration in the classroom. Um, And that, that work really comes off almost a decade of Runnymede's engagement with questions around history education and in trying to support teachers to treat, teach sort of more um, accurate histories of Britain. Um, so, so that's how I'm coming to the conversation. I'm really pleased to be part of it today. I'm really, really pleased to have you. Thank you very much. Uh, and Mike, please. Yeah, hi. Uh, so my name is Mike Goddard. I'm a history subject advisor for OCR. 
uh, and I led OCR's redevelopment of our A-level history and our GCSE history qualifications uh, and was involved in looking at what content should be included um, and then in the effectively in the, in the launch of those qualifications and the resources that we, we try to work with partners to um, provide to teachers so that they can be taught effectively. Great, thank you everyone. I think we're going to have some really good discussion today. Um, I'm from the BAME network at Cambridge Assessment and we've talked about this a lot in our network meetings in terms of how we look at history. Um, and one of the questions that's come up, and Mike, if I can come to you on this to start us off, um, you mentioned this a little bit in your introduction, but what has OCR already done to diversify its GCSE and A-level history specifications? Yeah, sure. Um and I mean, as you start off, started off by saying, I mean, uh, OCR definitely really strongly welcomes this conversation. We feel that we've made some steps, uh, but we don't feel that we uh, in any way have found all of the answers yet. Um, and just by way of context, uh, A-level history um, in its current form has been taught since 2015. So we were redeveloping it in 2013 and 2014. And at the time, the main criticism that was levelled at A-level history courses was that they were 20th century and Eurocentric. I mean, that, that was the big thing. And, uh, you know, they, they, they were fair and valid criticisms. Um, and so what OCR tried to, tried to do was, was to introduce a lot more optionality and to make it possible within the structure of an A-level to teach, for example, the history of non-European civilizations in their own right. So not just when England invaded them. Um, and I guess our most, uh, you know, our headline new option in that area was um, a pre-colonial African kingdoms option. Um, and we felt, and we still feel, that it's vital to have that diversity of history available to teachers, uh, particularly in, um, in today's uh, society. Um, so that you can recognise uh, the achievements and the validity of other civilizations, and, and it just makes for uh, you know a greater level of of um, inclusiveness. That was that was A level history. Those particular options haven't really taken off in terms of uh, being popular. But one of the things that you know one of the charges that could be levelled against us is well maybe you should have made them compulsory, and I hope that that's something that we'll discuss um, a year later. GCSE history was developed and here we thought okay so we need to carry on this theme but perhaps ramp it up you know work with more partners to really show that we are taking this seriously that we want everyone to be able to see themselves in the story um, and so we introduced a theme on migration to Britain uh, which is um, taught by uh, two of our guests today uh, and the idea of that was um, to study, well, to recognise just just the truth that uh, England's past is is defined, shaped by immigration over thousands of years, um, and to use that as a lens to understand our past, and in so doing, to make sure that we include uh, everyone who's studying it can can recognise themselves and their own backgrounds and see that history is relevant to them and about them as well, and. You know, that, that's kind of where we're at at the moment. We've launched these courses, they've been taught for a couple of years, um, and we've worked with various partners to try and promote them. Uh, we, we haven't made them compulsory. There is a lot more that we could be doing, 
but we feel that we've made a start. Thank you, Sandeep. I'm just wondering, because um, there are some links here, you're the co-lead for our migration story. Would you mind just telling us a little bit about how that came about and the work that you're doing in this area? Yeah, of course. So um, I guess the first thing to say is that um, we've been working with the OCR, so the OCR and Mike sat on our advisory board for our migration story, and that started in 2016. And really that resource is kind of, um, it's a collaboration between the Running Mead Trust, the Universities of Manchester and the Universities of Cambridge. And the resource, uh, and it's Professor Claire Alexander and Joya Chatterjee, they're both the leads. Um, and really the idea was, so, so Running Mead has been doing lots of work with history teachers, as I said, for over a decade. And what we found in doing that work was that there's definitely, um, you know, there are definitely teachers who really want to teach this stuff and recognize how important it is. But there's, at the time, in 2016, or certainly the work that we've been doing just before then, so between 2014 and 2016, we found that, you know, there weren't really um, adequate resources. The teachers really wanted better resources. So that's really where the idea for our migration story came. So the idea was to kind of build a resource that would be um, easily accessible to teachers, that would sort of contain the history of migration to Britain over a long period. So we start with the Roman period and we end with Theresa May's Go Home Van campaign. Um, and I can talk in the course of this conversation a little bit more about the resource, what we did and what we found. But I think just at the start of the conversation, if I may, I think one of the things that I certainly found when I was working on our migration story is how um, sort of different stakeholders and different constituents discuss the question of curriculum reform and what it is that we're trying to do in this space. So often, um, you know, I hear the word diversity, which is you know good to, to have sort of a diversity of representation. But I think I hear inclusion a lot too. And sometimes the question sort of um, uh, sits around this issue of inclusion and who gets included and who doesn't. But I think for me, I see it as a twofold issue. So, so firstly, I see it as a question, as Mike just said, of accuracy. So our work at Running Need has been about looking specifically at the British history curriculum. And one of the things that we've been preoccupied with is providing teachers and students with a fuller story of how Britain came to be and to give students the opportunity to kind of um, understand the development of sort of modern Britain through a historical lens in an accurate way and in a way that's full. So I think accuracy is the very first thing that we need to to, to kind of get our heads around in terms of what we're trying to do here. Um, and, and, and that's the first thing. It's a question of intellectual integrity. I think the second part of this equation is about this question of inclusion. And I think it's absolutely right that um, all of the young people who we serve in our history classrooms get the opportunity to see themselves in the curriculum. And, and the way one sees oneself in the curriculum can op operate on different kinds of axes of, of, of how we identify ourselves, right? So along axes of race, gender, class, um, locality. And what we're seeing is that, you know, the way that the current curriculum looks is that, you know, certain young children are seeing themselves more frequently in the curriculum than others. And so this is a question, this inclusivity question isn't necessarily just about, you know, making black and Asian kids feel good about themselves, which is often how it's being framed, particularly in the media space. I think what we're trying to do is have an, equ an equality of representation in the curriculum. So, yes, it's a question of inclusivity. It's also a question of accuracy. And I think if we that those two things are not the same and they get conflated, they do, of course, overlap. But I think it's really important to to be clear about what we're talking about. Of course, at Runnymede, we advocate um, that all children get to study non-European histories and histories beyond Britain and as Mike just said you know histories of places where Britain has never had any contact and all of that's important uh, but our preoccupation and we think it's you know it's becoming more and more urgent in the landscape in which we're all living is is to is to is to get our national story right it's a story that has you know had you know has been about global connectedness um, it's a story that involves ordinary people um, uh, you know, so 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 the, these are the things that I think we need to deal with, and we need to do all of this at the same time. Um, it's just the point that I wanted to make at this stage. I think. 
Thank you. I'm wondering if we um, can bring Sitara and Claire in, in here. Um, you're both teachers and I know you both teach OCR, GCSE history at, at your schools. Um, you mentioned uh, in your introductions that, that these schools, that they're quite different. I'm wondering what what how your students respond to these sorts of topics and these kinds of discussions and what they might think about how history should be taught and thinking about inclusivity. Claire, if we could start with you, please. Of course. So um, on paper, it does appear that a lot of the national curriculum and even um, if you think about GCSE courses that don't include migration, they might appear that they are only going to teach a certain history of the UK. And I think what the migration topic does so brilliantly is remind the students that I teach that are from black and Asian backgrounds that actually they have been part of British history for two millennia. And Therefore, when we teach them those things that might be perceived as very white English history, they are actually part of it too. And they have so enjoyed the opportunity to see how their migration stories, which tend to be more post-1945, actually fit into a much longer history of migration to the UK. And it, it does allow them to see themselves much more. And that's been so valuable for many of them. Thank you. I'm just thinking about my my own experiences um, with studying history as 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 a black woman, but also you know just for once, you know, I've read Miranda Kaufman's book on um, black Tudors, for example, and that made such a difference to my learning. Um, so it, it's just interesting to hear. Um, Satara, if we could uh, come to you um, and your experiences, because you you teach in quite a, a different school. Yeah, and it's I think we have to be really careful about not being very. I don't like using the term preachy, but I think that's the best way of describing it, saying immigration is right, we should be accepting, because that's never going to be going down well. Children are incredibly inquisitive, especially the ones we have. They want to learn, they're excited by, you know, we've heard about personal stories, examples, and the course brilliantly highlights that. Um, I teach about my own parents. Uh, my mum came from Kenya. Um, I, during the persecution in the 70s, my father came from Pakistan as well. So it's nice to be able to bring all of these stories in a personal level, as well as trying to get them to understand the world around them. How do and we stop this discussion from being too preachy? I, I just think that's a really interesting point, um, because I know there's, there's a lot in the media, there's a lot of discussion here um, around national curriculum around what we're learning about in schools around what we should be teaching in schools how, how do we make that you know relevant to everyone and stop it from being preachy as you say do you think um i think if you tell children what to think you will have some element of pushback whether they'll support it or not um therefore actually approaching things with compassion and empathy and understanding would help um because actually the students I teach do not have the opportunity of meeting um, others from often a BAME background. So I can't stand up at the front and say immigration's brilliant, look at all these things that the British culture has. Mm. But actually, if I tell it through personal examples, and as I said, that's what the OCR course does beautifully, then actually that's what gets them thinking and learning and actually just wanting to know more. Uh, Sandeep, just coming to you there. Yeah, I, th I think the thing I would add is probably, I mean, the first thing I would say about the OCR's 
wonderful modules is that um, you know they're very they 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 let us think about migration kind of across a very long period, and I think what what they do beautifully is to kind of demonstrate how migration has been part of British history and changes in British history over time. And so really migration story, the, the history of migration to Britain is a story that every single young person has a stake in, right? And, and, and I think what we try to do with our migration story as a resource, and I think what the, the modules do really well is that it complicates the idea in our mind of who a migrant is. And I think it raises very important questions about, um, you know, who, who continues to be considered a migrant, you know, through subsequent generations, how are different migrant groups treated differently? And so it complicates our understanding of what migration and what a migrant is. And, and on this question of being preachy, um, I would say our work at the Running Me Trust and, and on our migration story in particular has been driven entirely by scholarship, by historical scholarship. And what we try to do with the Our Migration Story resource is to capture um, sort of the wealth of research and scholarship that exists on British histories of migration and translate them for teachers and young people in schools. So, I mean, the way to, to not be preachy and, and, and um, is, is just to focus on doing good history and focusing on um, making visible and accessible the wonderful and incredibly important scholarship that exists in this space and bringing it to the classroom. Um, and, and for me, that kind of scholarship driven approach has been um, really to get away, to get around those questions of, um, you know, preaching or, you know, yeah, so, so that's what I would say. I would say we need to root ourselves in the scholarship. Thank you. Claire? Um, I was just going to add that it's always quite fun when I get to the 19th century part of the GCSE course to say, well, here begins my migration story. And they sort of giggle and look at me and go, but you're white British, miss. And I'm like, yes, but my ancestors were Irish. So here we go. How were they treated? And it, it it's so much fun for them to see oh, so you're a migrant too? So my story is connected to your story. And that, that beautiful connectivity and nuance is brought into the room. And that's that's a really good thing to see. And I think it links back to um, your point, Sandy, about inclusivity and, and thinking, you know, how, how we are all connected with these stories. Um, and also what Satara was saying about empathy. I think that the really good points here. And Mike? I wanted to pick up on what Sandeep was saying um, in that the, the response to accusations of being preachy is, is just to say, actually, this is all based on scholarship. Um, this, this is the facts of our story. Now, you can interpret it how you want. You can say, therefore, immigration has always been of wonderful benefit um, to England. Um, or you, you can do what you want, but what you can't do is you, you can't deny the facts. And that's why it was really important for OCR to work with academics when designing this course to take advantage of the latest scholarship. So particularly we worked with uh, Black and Asian Studies Association um, with uh, Professor Hakim Adi and, and, and others. Um, and, and then it, we were pleased to work with the University of York's um, immigration project as well to make sure that, you know, we couldn't be uh, accused of being politically partisan on this. Um, and that, 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 that accusation was inevitably levelled at, at us, um, you know, shortly after um, announcing the course. But it really isn't. It's political, but it's not politically partisan. And it is based on rigorous scholarship. And what other challenges, if there are any, Mike, have has OCR faced as an exam board when it comes to their role diversifying secondary school history? Well, I think the main one is we have to be realistic that we are operating in a marketplace for qualifications. 
So I think that in many ways we're, we're very lucky um, in England uh, that we haven't got a government-imposed history curriculum. I think that could be really dangerous. Um, but what it does mean is that examples have got a lot of freedom um, to design courses um, and you know we then we then have to try and um, persuade teachers to choose to teach them and we have to be realistic about uh, the options which are available to, to teachers, their resources, their time, uh, the accountability measures, what their SLTs may be telling them to do, all of these things uh, you have to sort of have answers to when you're introducing a new course, unless you say that course is compulsory. Um, so that's why working with um, Sandeep and Runnymede to get some amazingly high quality um, resources available to teachers that can be brought straight into the classroom was of fundamental importance. And I think our challenge as an exam board is to keep making relationships like that with the right people uh, keep getting the messages out to schools to say that we can we can help you introduce this if you want to do it, because otherwise it's an easy and understandable option to te to teach the other options that are available. What I don't think I don't think it's our place as an example, and I might be wrong on this, is to say no, this history is better than this history. You know, I think we have to say to the history community, right? We are making this stuff available because we're listening and we understand what the problem is. This is how we're making it practical. And then it's over to the history community to say, actually, it is really important to teach this. I think if OCR goes around as an exam board saying, no, you have to teach African kingdoms, that's more important than teaching Nazi Germany. I think that's it's difficult for us to justify doing that. Yeah, yeah. Um, Sandeep, I don't know if you want to come in here. Yeah, I just I would just add that, you know, I think that some of the challenges that we encountered um, in the process of kind of disseminating our migration story and learning a bit more about, you know, the kind of challenges that teachers face is kind of interesting and might might be useful for this conversation. So, I mean, just to put it in context, once we built this resource, um, we found that we were very pleased to find that lots of teachers were using it and found it useful in their teaching. But we kind of then put, a, put aside about 18 months where we kind of went out and spoke to teachers at various conferences. We ran focus groups. We did workshops, CPD events and spoke, spoke to lots of teachers. And I think in that process, what we realised was, you know, it's fine to you know, have space in the curriculum. We can come back to the national curriculum, hopefully in a second. But um, the national curriculum as it stands um, does, you know, create some opportunities for, for teaching this material on migration and empire, um, as do uh, the GCSE modules. Um, and so we have those openings in the curriculum. And then we created this wonderful resource, uh, which we hoped would then result in lots of teachers teaching it. But actually what we found, as Mike just said, were the, the kind of constraints on teachers. So on the one hand, you know, individual teachers may find that they want to teach this stuff, but then, you know, departmental heads or, you know, people higher up and the school governance may not wish to, and that's kind of a problem. Teachers are also under incredible pressure, under time pressure, um, and pressure of not having enough resources. Um, and so really, if we want teachers and, and we want to encourage teachers and support them to be kind of innovative in the way that they think about their curriculum and to incorporate the kinds of histories that we think are, are important and interesting um, for young people, then we, we must support them. And so, so this is this is a huge thing that we found. The, the other thing that we found that's, that's, that's really important where there's a deficit is that we, we really do need improved opportunities for teacher training and for teacher CPD. Um, so we conducted a survey with teachers in the course of the Our Migration Story project, and, and we found that 78% of the teachers that we surveyed wanted training on how to teach histories of migration, and 71% wanted um, better teacher training on, on how to deal with histories of empire. Because, of course, on the one hand, there's the question of subject knowledge, 
And many of the teachers that we spoke to uh, were really interested and excited about this material, but they hadn't learned it themselves at university. And so they really, the filling in their subject knowledge was one thing. But then there's also this other question of how to navigate these topics in the classroom. So they raise all kinds of issues around identity, inequality, racism. Um, and I think what, what we need to do is, uh, particularly around racism and how to kind of navigate classroom discussions around this is to to provide and what we found as teachers were asking for this is some training around you know what how do we understand racism how do we talk to young people about this and I suppose these are the kinds of um, challenges that we found um, at Runnymede that are that are, that kind of exist beyond just uh, creating space in the curriculum and resource provision. Sitara, Clara, I'm wondering if, if I can bring you both in here as teachers, if, if, if you've faced some of these challenges that Sundeep has mentioned um, and, and sort of what your experiences are in this space. Sitara, if I could come to you first, please. Uh, I've been very lucky. The students I've taught have really enjoyed learning about the course. We don't have any explicit racism. We have more questions about identity and actually it's open discussion and it's a comfortable environment and as was said earlier it's about scholarship so it's reading widely deeply and then actually applying that knowledge to the situation I stump I feel very uncomfortable talking about race sometimes in the classroom because I'm an Asian woman and I've got the fear of being you know someone's going to turn and I go you can only talk about race because you're Asian I that's my constant fear but actually our students are very very responsible and actually they deal with it very appropriately. I I am also very lucky in that I don't have a lot of um, constraints on the topics I, I choose and my team and I can negotiate together what we decide um, to teach and I think something that came across really well when we started reading through the GCSE um, migration textbook was um, say you were talking about the Jews in medieval England, when we then talk about the Norman conquest with year seven students, you can start weaving in that narrative of how important that group were to William's castle building project, which is quite clearly shown in the national curriculum. So I think if people sort of start looking in the right places, quite a few of those problems that Mike has very um, well described can actually be overcome. But the, the biggest one of time and how you fit into your very limited amount of planning and preparation allocation, um, this scholarship and study and research, that can be an issue. Um, and it's one that my team and I have tackled in our department time. We're lucky we get one hour a week Mm -hmm. every week where we can sit down and discuss mm -hmm. history and that's what we've made our priority and it is about departments being allowed to do that 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 is the best way forward I think yeah Sitara I just thought I'd say you're it's great that you're talking about like the Jews in medieval England and castle building and that's exactly what we should be doing we should be talking about these stories from year seven, year eight, if we're looking at Black Tudor and the Miranda Kaufman's book, it's integrating these stories in now. So it's not just tokenistic when it gets to GCSE. They've got a wealth of history already behind them as well. I just wanted to say that's a brilliant idea. 
what kind of feedback do you get from your students? Because I remember when I was at school and we did one module, I think, on slavery, and it very much felt a bit like a box ticking exercise. Um, and we didn't really go into depth around the discussion um, on, on history and, you know, our story and how we're all connected to this. And the, the, there's so much I could talk about, but it's not for me to say. But I'm just wondering what kind of feedback you get from your own students in this area. I was going to say um, I was discussing this with my year 12s after their lesson last week and I showed them the new curriculum that we've been putting together over the past year really for um, September and they were just like oh why couldn't we have studied Islamic Spain and this is amazing because it gives us a context which supports what they they have already been realizing which is Britain is an island, but it's an island connected to the rest of the world and has been for millennia. And they wanted to see that more. And that's been um, really welcomed by most of the students. Um, it, it allows them to see themselves in the curriculum at multiple points. But it has taken us well over a year, conversations every week, mapping it out, remapping it out having to sort of slim down certain things that people have taught for years, not necessarily removing things, but sort of adding um, and enriching topics that we might already teach, but adding in these extra stories. Thank you. Thanks. Sitara, didn't know if you wanted to add something. Uh, also, my year 12s are incredibly jealous and they 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 asked one of them asked for a copy of the textbook at one point the migration textbook and it's wonderful to see that interest and yeah it's it's about having time because I didn't feel comfortable teaching it at first and actually we're getting there slowly I think that's the best way of putting it um but actually the students really do develop an understanding. They feel positive and especially in light of the Black Lives Matter campaigns, the issues of racism that came up. Um, the student, my year 12, for example, are very politically aware. They know there's been a rise in racism since, um, you know, in the last few years. And actually they want to know more and they want to understand more about racism and identity and how that feeds into Britain and then by extension themselves. I suppose there are a couple of things that I wanted to say in response. I mean, just picking up the point about students, I mean, one of the things I would say is that this movement for sort of um, better, fuller, more accurate engagement with, with British history is, 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 a, is a movement that's decades long in Britain. So I know that um, uh, Mike just mentioned BASA. So I think the Black and Asian Studies Association was established in the late 80s or early 90s to, to kind of respond to precisely these questions. Um, and so this question, whether it's been called diversifying or decolonizing, and, and, there, and there is a difference between diversifying, decolonizing, we can maybe come to that. But um, these questions have been, you know, people have been working very hard on addressing these questions for decades. And I think what's really important about this precise moment is the engagement of young people in those calls. That's the thing I would say that makes this moment and the decolonizing mo moment, and, and this moment where we've seen the biggest kind of anti-racism protest in Britain's history is the, is, the, is the widespread engagement of young people. So I think, you know, these young people are very aware of, you know, the deficits in, in what they're being taught and they're lead, kind of leading leading campaigns to um, to push the change. And I think, um, you know, and I think it's our duty to support these young people, but also to kind of respond to what they're seeing as the deficits. And, and, and I would just say, you know, just much more broadly that I, I think, you know, as educators, as historians, as teachers, 
um, you know, we owe it to, uh, to to the next generation to have a better sense of how Britain and the world they live in came to be, um, to help them navigate the world that they find themselves in um, when they leave school, to help them engage critically in discussions. Um, and, you know, and so, so we've been talking a lot about what topics we think students should should learn. But I think also what's critical is helping them to understand the constructiveness and the constructive nature of history and historical interpretation. And I think by doing that, not only are we kind of helping them to understand how the world came to be, but we're also uh, nurturing critical minds. And I think those critical minds are crucial in the times that we're finding ourselves in. But also I think, you know, I, I think one element of this also is hopefully nurturing the next generation of historians. So if, we have, if we're doing good history, if we're doing history that's geographically and chronologically broad and that has a range of actors and it's a history that is accurate and that our young people can see themselves in, then hopefully more young people, particularly Black and Asian young people, will be encouraged to kind of enter the profession and study history. I think one very important piece of research that I think all history teachers and his history departments should read is the Royal Historical Society's recent report on race and ethnicity in the profession. And, 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 and that report kind of dealt in, you know, in quite alarming, but also um, in, in quite bold ways. It kind of laid out the state of, of the historical profession in Britain. And on the one hand, we have a terrible problem in universities with representation among academics and in terms of the, the kind of blatant racism that academics uh, deal with in history departments. But the other thing that the report deals with is students. And, and one, of the, one of the statistics in the report is that only 11% of history undergraduates in Britain are of Black uh, or Asian background. So I think in, in sort of addressing um, the history that we're teaching in schools, whether that's GCSE level, and, and, and my, my broader argument is that this needs to happen sooner, um, at primary and also at stage three, is that, uh, is that um, we kind of owe it to our students, but we also kind of owe it to history um, as well as, as a kind of discipline. I wonder then, um, and, and you can all come in on this one, what more we can be doing then to encourage perhaps more teachers, more schools, or just get the conversation out there a bit more in terms of our history and the topics that we've, we've generally discussed. Perhaps I'm going a bit more broadly and going beyond just the national curriculum but, but what do you think we can all be doing to encourage these conversations and engage more people? Well I mean I think that there, there is a, a really um, vibrant conversation going on at the moment and, and I think the ex responsibility of exam boards is to recognise our role in that. I, th I think we've got you know we well I, th I think we've got two main responsibilities right we have to listen to um, the subject communities um, but then also we have to be very patient as well and we can't expect instant change. Um, so the example I gave of the African Kingdom's A-level option, for instance, uh, you, you said that was launched, what, 2015, so five years ago. It's only now that we are seeing any interest that might be considered to be significant in it. And that's because it takes a long time. It, it, it takes a long time to affect change in, in schools. And often things will get tried out in key stage three, and that's completely appropriate. So we know that a lot of our African Kingdom's resources, for example, have been used for a few years with years uh, seven, eight and nine. Uh, and I think it's upon us as an example to not just pull the option. We're not going to. We never would, uh, I hope. Um, but also to, to, to say, OK, we, this is an investment for several years time. It's not going to translate into instant change. So as long as we're listening to the right people, as long as we're taking part in the conversation, as long as we're not being hasty, then I think that's what we need to do as an exam board. Uh, but with this particular topic, 
Um, obviously, we're doing this podcast today, but the conversation is definitely going on and it's definitely loud and eloquent and, and, it, and it feels like a, a watershed moment potentially. Thank you, Sandeep. Um, I would absolutely agree with Mike in that um, this definitely feels like a moment where real change is possible. And I think um, at this moment is the time to maintain momentum on these questions. I think one of the things um, that I would encourage people to do if they're listening, if they're interested, so at the Running Me Trust, we launched a sort of information campaign about a fortnight ago under the hashtag of Teach Race, Migration and Empire. If you go onto the Runnymede website, you'll find some more information on there. And in, in that campaign, we've sort of outlined what people who are interested in, in kind of helping to make change can do right now. And we've listed a set of actions. Um, and partly what we've done is we've provided template letters that people can send along to their MPs and to their school governors. Um, partly uh, we've provided their links for uh, Runnymede's reports, some of our key reports that are really important if you want to read up on what the current state of play in the curriculum is and where the insertion points for making change are. And another thing that we're doing is working with the Institute of Historical Research to create a resource bank. So people were inviting people to submit resources um, so, so that we have a, a free open access information bank. So teachers who do want to teach, for example, these modules have got somewhere to go to do that. I think one thing I would add is, you know, in, in terms of what's necessary for change, I think in the longer term, I think we obviously need to revisit what our national curriculum is doing. I think at the moment, um, you know, in at Key Stage 3, the only mandatory topic of study is the Holocaust. And then there, around that, there are lists of kind of suggested topics. And what's interesting to me is, you know, what's on those suggested topics and what isn't on those suggested topics. So, for example, we don't have any, any references in those suggested topics to Britain's long-standing history of ethnic and racial diversity. We don't have any um, reference in those suggested topics to British colonies in Africa and the Caribbean. We don't have any reference to histories of decolonization. So I think now there are very important questions to be asked about, you know, what is statutory in our curriculum? What is suggested and who gets to make those decisions? Who feeds into those? I think in the shorter term, what we can do, um, and, and our campaign information uh, outlines this, is, is we need to make the most of the opportunities that exist in the curriculum now, right? So at, at Key Stage 3, all the way through to A-level, um, there are insertion points, yeah? So if, if it is the case that the Holocaust is the only compulsory thing, then of course there is lots of space then for teachers to be innovative and think about other kinds of things that might be important to teach in that space. Um, and there is A-level coursework as well, which also offers opportunities kind of to devise questions around uh, empire or migration or whatever a young person might happen to be interested in. Um, but of course, the limitations of that are all of the things we've outlined in this, in this, uh, in this podcast already are the kinds of structural uh, challenges that face teachers. And one of the things that we're calling for at the Running Me Trust, in, and, and that call is being led by Dr. Jason Todd at the University of Oxford, is to create uh, a teacher training centre on the histories of migration and empire which is modelled on the UCL's uh, Centre for Holocaust Education. And what that Centre for Holocaust Education does, it provides training and CPD opportunities for teachers um, around the topic of the Holocaust uh, to, kind of, to kind of tailor training around the, their needs. And I think if we want uh, these histories to be taught effectively and in a, in a way that's sustainable and in a way that kind of deals with all of the kind of political changes that come and hit a curriculum every time the government changes, then we need kind of longer term uh, longer term thinking. And I think, you know, final thing I would say um, is I think we need to think about empire a bit more critically. Yeah. So I think, you know, the OCR module does a wonderful job of migration and there's, a, and there's an excellent section um, on sort of imperial migration, industrial imperial migration. But I think in terms of engaging with histories of empire more broadly and understanding particularly how um, racism uh, in the society that we live in today is a, is a kind of legacy of colonialism. 
and empire. I think that's that's the sort of next hurdle that, that we kind of collectively need to tackle and to help teachers and to help the wider public uh, grapple with and understand. And as Mike said, there's no there are no short term solutions. This involves lots of different stakeholders working together. Um, to, to make this work. And maybe just also the final, final thing to bear in mind is that this is a problem that exists beyond schools. Yeah. So, um, you know, often so we, we do understand there are deficits in the curriculum and we absolutely understand that, you know, the ways that we might think about British history in the curriculum are very different to the ways that we think about British history, perhaps at university. And that was one of the things that struck me is the way that I think about British history in my PhD is very different, say, for example, than the way I, I understood British history in school. Um, but but also that you know this is a wider societal problem. This is about the way that you know British history gets dealt with in the media, in politics, you know, in our built environment, in statues, um, you know. Um, and I think the the kind of now is the time to raise questions about all of that. But also at the same time to recognise that school are one part of of what's a, what's a much larger problem. Thank you. I think that's a, a, a really good point. Um, if we could turn to Claire and, and Satara, perhaps for the final word, then what would what would you like to see more of, and and what do you think in terms of generating more discussion, engaging more people in the debate, particularly in your experience as teachers? Well. I'd like to um, firstly point out that I've been working with a group called the Tide Project, who are also invested very heavily in uh, decolonising, particularly the early modern period. And their resources are fantastic for any teacher who'd like to um, look at, go to their website and um, decolonise that period of history that they're teaching to their year sevens, eights and nines. Um, the, The one big barrier that I find with the students from my community and it it really disheartens me sometimes I have some fantastic A-level historians but getting them to do history at university their parents just can't see where they would go with it Um, and that's that's the biggest thing that I'm trying to work with at the moment with the Royal Historic Society is on really showing particularly the Black and Asian community, the value of of taking a history degree and it can be linked to a career at the end of it, Um, that they need that sort of economic safety net that they can see if you go to do a law degree, you become a lawyer. If you do an accountancy degree, you become an accountant. And history, they can't quite see that sometimes. So I think we should all work really hard at embedding as much of the ideas that Sandeep has talked about so eloquently into our key stage three curriculum, because for some students, they will never do history again at that point. Um, and that's a slightly scary thought on some levels and probably does play into the discourse that society as a whole has around history. Um, but for those who do continue into GCSE and A-level, we really want to encourage them, if they've seen themselves in this curriculum, then see yourself as historians. And that would be, you know, an ideal way forward for me. Yeah, thank you. That's great. And Sitara, anything from you? Uh, I think we need to continue discussing. And I I feel really ignorant of the discussions that I've been had with the Running Me Trust and our, our migration story. I've used both, you know, well, organisations and the website hugely. And it's making those discussions heard about. Uh, for example, on Twitter, there's a huge history community getting it out there opening discussions on a regional level i i don't know what the logistics are and how they would work but it's promoting them and 
bringing it into the narrative that we see at the moment, the changing mood in the newspapers and, you know, the protests. We watch young people on the streets and it's really powerful. So it's not letting that momentum drop. But then at the same time, while that momentum is going on, keeping the discussions open for teachers to try and make a real difference. Sandeep. Yeah, I think I think both of I think the points that our, the teachers have made are both brilliant, and um, and I, I would say one of the one of the reasons that Runnymede's work um, and Runnymede was also involved with the Tide project that Claire mentioned, but one of the reasons why some of those projects, the Tide project and the Almay Story project, um, have been kind of so successful and gained traction is because we actually worked with so many stakeholders, right? So we were involved with working with teachers, with exam boards, with um, historians, with archives, galleries, museums. So it's a whole ecosystem that kind of made these work. And I think it, in order to make progress going ahead, that, that kind of working together is crucial. I mean, one one thing I would say, and I think um, another thing that has been very important in the work that we've done at Runnymede is the issue of framing these questions. So, I mean, a lot of people talk about diversity, and I think diversity in and of itself in terms of curriculum change is important. So thinking about diversity, as we said, of geographies and of actors. But I think the problem with diversity sometimes is that um, there's a danger that, you know, some people interpret diversity as just adding one or two black or Asian people into, into a broader curriculum, and then that's diversity. And I think what diversity, the danger around just that word and the way that some might interpret it is it could become slightly tokenistic or just kind of yeah. a celebratory edition of, you know, uh, a black or Asian famous person in a particular period, yeah? Um, yeah. And so and so I think, uh, and I think where decolonize, thinking about decolonizing is helpful, and I know that the word has been muddied, and I think a lot of, uh, particularly the kind of stick that um, decolonizing movements have, be, have gotten in the media uh, is a problem, but I think at its, at its core, what the, what the decolonizing movement is, is asking for is an engagement with questions around uh, inequality and also power and structures of inequality and structures of power. So I think when we think particularly about the curriculum and change, what the kind of decolonizing framework helps us to do is think not just about what we teach, um, but more broadly, how we're teaching what we're teaching. So what are our approaches as historians? What is our evidence? You know, who, whose mind and whose writing are we drawing on to teach that stuff? It also, it also helps us to think about why we teach what we teach, you know, who makes those decisions, why? It also raises questions around who is doing that teaching, so who who makes up our teaching staff. Mm -hmm. So I think sometimes we get trapped in kind of this um, question of diversity, which I worry sometimes is a little bit or can become a little bit superficial. And I think the engagement that we need now and the moment that has opened up now is to ask much deeper, more probing questions around not just how Britain and the world came to be, uh, but also to kind of identify what parts of those stories are missing and then to ask harder questions about why they're missing. Um, and who, you know, who is involved in, in plugging those gaps and how we should all work collectively to do that. That's great. Thank you. I'm just conscious of time. Um, I don't know if anybody has anything else that they want to add. I was just going to add to Sandeep's point there that the um, teaching history journal that the Historical Association produce has at least one article that I can think of in a journal a couple of episodes ago that was totally focused on this and that they've been during lockdown producing some fantastic little videos you can watch about pedagogy and how we teach these things and why we teach these things there is so much willingness from the history community to embed these courses and these ideas and we are supporting each other as much as we can and if you are a worried history teacher about it just you know go on twitter go to the historical association or the school's history project go to OCR, go to Mike and say, how can we do this? And they will support you. We're in a good place and we need to push from here. I think that's a really great way to end the podcast. Thank you very much to everyone for joining. Thank you for listening to the Cambridge Assessment podcast. You can find more podcasts over on our YouTube channel, 
on our website, just search Podcast Gallery, or you can find us wherever you usually listen to your podcast, such as Spotify or iTunes.